Marshall Pruitt. Yes. If you could describe this meal in one word, what would it be? Dead. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> All right. I mean, I ate a wolf turd. That's really what it should be. Yeah. It should just be, I ate a wolf turd. Well, we can. We have yeah. the miracle okay. of editing. Yeah, let's go with that. Okay. That's way better. Yeah. Yeah. Turtlelicious. How's that? Turds. Make it happen. Marshall Pruitt, if you could describe this dinner with racers in one word, what would it be? Turtlelicious. Perfect. And now for Dinner with Racers, presented by Continental Tire. With your hosts, Ryan Eversley and Sean Heckman. Placeholder Radio. Welcome to Dinner with Racers. My name is Ryan Eversley, and this is my announcer voice, alongside my co-host, Sean Heckman. Why, thank you, Ryan. Happy to be here, and I'm not doing this. Okay, it's fine. dumb. Fair but enough. in any case, welcome. Uh, we are just outside of Atlanta, wrapping up our 30-day journey across the country. We've traveled how many miles? Uh, 8,000 miles. Uh, for 30 days across how many states? 20 states. And uh, what ultra-reliable, yet comfortable vehicle has done this. We are using my brand new Acura MDX, and it has been awesome. Cool. The only thing more important than the car being reliable is the tires. And we have got awesome Continental tires that haven't missed a beat. Cool. We've driven in rain, we've driven in gravel, and we've driven on the highway. They've been good through it all. And somehow, this all culminates in us having 27 different meals across the country with people in racing, all walks of life that we wanted to meet have a conversation with, and present to you, the listener, who would then turn around and tell us everything that we did wrong. <laughs> so uh, next up in our list is the great Marshall Pruitt. So we, uh, we headed up to Northern California during the swing. Uh, Marshall's out in Fremont. And uh, Marshall is also part of the Racer Magazine group that, that uh, we kind of hung out with. Uh, Marshall is a journalist, writes for Racer Magazine, Racer.com, Road and Track, kind of does it all and does everything from covering open wheel racing, such as IndyCar namely, sports car racing, and, and uh, kind of whatever else suits whatever he's doing. Uh, Marshall, to me, is a really cool dude to meet up with because he's got a really good head on what's going on with the sport, what's good, what's bad, what's indifferent. Um, and we're kind of living in an era where anybody with a blog can consider themselves a journalist, and he's always kind of been putting himself in a position where he still takes a, a certain right. amount of responsibility and credibility in how he approaches it. His right. editorials are good. Uh, I've never read an opinion piece of his that didn't have a foundation to it. Quotes from other people, outside perspective, contradicting opinions, you name it. He covers all that very, very well. Marshall is uh, also a fan of barbecue. And so we met up at the... Smoking Pig. Smoking Pig, but we brought him barbecue sauce all the way from Laney's Barbecue in Selma, Alabama. Delightful chat. We talk about the WWE. We talk about uh, life outside of racing and sort of finding that balance as you get too involved in it. And we also talked about who gets it in motorsports. And he picked out a particular young American, which I was pretty happy to hear about. So let's hear from Marshall Pruitt, Smoking Pig Barbecue. What did you eat? I had wolf turds and then a half rack. Nice. I had a chicken sandwich. Let's hear Marshall. Courtesy of Continental Tire. Meow. All right, we're going to start in five, four, three, two. How are you? Hey, what's 
going on? Oh, wait, but yeah. Formerly Fremont's one and only Hooters. Oh, somebody tweeted wow. me about that. That's funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said we're in Fremont. One guy just said, I knew hey, there's a Hooters, Hooters there. Nice. So talk to me about the wings here because I saw the email and I'm a little curious about the sauce because it's hot or honey. Yeah, and the, from my wife is a big fan of the make your colon burn for days, okay. whereas I am not. Okay. So from what I understand, they've reduced the temperature-osity of the hot, but uh, just know that they were fine for my wife, but a little too much for me. Okay. I'm a big fan of the honey ones, but that's all we've ever really had. With the uh, background noise, I'm going to have you go a little little closer on the kind of, you can like bend it in. Yeah, there you go. There you go. And Thank I you. do want to see one of you try a wolf turd. I'll eat a wolf. Because oh yeah, I have no we idea. This has been a whole thing. Yeah. I'll, I might even try one. Sure. Well, let's see. We got orders of two or four. We could do four. And then you can have two. Yeah, you can have two. Yeah, what are you going to get, Rut? I'm, oh, I'm getting the, um, I'm getting the Parmesan bacon sausage burger. Of course you are. Yeah. You yeah, get yeah. that deep fried? Yeah, goddamn right. Wow. Yeah. This has not been a health trip. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've ever actually seen you with a Niners hat. Do you deliberately go generic no, at no, a racetrack? No. Oh, or have I just never noticed it? Never noticed. Yeah. yeah I was going to say, I, when I saw you walk in, I was like, that's right, he is a Niners fan. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can't live around here. And you grew up here, right? Mm. Or you grew up... Uh, peninsula. Yeah, that's right. You and I both Same grew up. Okay. San Francisco. But growing up in the peninsula in the 80s was an awesome time. Um, or the Bay Area. You had the, you had the Niners... <laughs> Which were just unbelievable. Awesome. Yeah. Oakland A's and the Giants, you know, both had good years. I was a big, uh, I played Little League and soccer, not so much football, but uh, baseball was huge. So as part of the uh, Little League, you would get these super cheap quadruple upper deck tickets yep. stack for almost nothing. Right. So it was just first introduction to freezing your balls off. And watching the fog come in over candlestick yep. and cur curl. It's actually a great young lesson in aerodynamics. <laughs> Seriously, because you'd sit there and you'd just <laughs> you just watch the fog come in, roll, and hit you right in the face. But right. Yeah, the tickets were like $5. It was brilliant. Yeah. That's one of the things about the Bay Area is there's like there is never a bad year for the Bay Area hmm. in terms of sports teams. Like even like if the Niners are having a bad year, the Giants win. Or if the Giants are having a bad year, the Warriors win all of a sudden. So my... I think in sixth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, whatever it was, excuse me, whatever it was Joe Montana's first year with the 49ers. Uh, I was born in San Mateo, was raised mostly in Belmont, which is just a little bit south. And across from my grade school, Joe Montana moved in. <laughs> nice. <laughs> wow. And this was, thank you, this was before he had become the starting quarterback. Right. So we were just like, whoa. I mean, we're all that tall. And so... We're just blown away to have him there. One of our fellow students was the son of R.C. Owens, who was a fairly legendary 49er. So there was a little bit of 49ers culture, but I just, whomever it was found out that Joe Montana lived right across from our school. Yeah. So remember, we all got together one morning, uh, one day after school, we were leaving school, and just went knocked on the door. We're like, hi, do you need your lawn mowed or something? <laughs> Did he like so he answered? Mr. Montana. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow, that's awesome. Was he drunk? or? No, he yeah. was he, all clothes on, no underwear, but... <laughs> it's funny, now that I think back to it, he was the exact same then as I've seen him all along. Right. Really polite, but really kind of like, sure. oh, hey, thanks, guys. You know, no, we're good, but, you know, thanks for stopping by and built some stuff. Yeah. Uh, so how would you find this place? 
Uh, my wife found it on, I think, DoorDash.com or something. She was hungry and decided to try that. She's from the South, so her leanings are dead animals, fried and flavored. So uh, that's that was it. I mean, I, I noticed the sign outside when it changed from the Hooters and was like, wow, that's a horrible name. Smoking and even barbecue. worse logo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, oh, we noticed. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty bad. It's a pig in a leather jacket with a cigar and sunglasses My and an earring. Our only disappointment when we pulled in is that the area actually looks nice. Mm. You know, because like, it's kind of like a strip mall kind of community. And, and we were hoping there'd be like chain link fences and you'd have to go through a couple of abandoned buildings to find it. But It was decades ago, but this is now for the Fremont area in general, just a little bit south of Milpitas. Right. A massive, massive tech base. So the Indian population and related countries around India, Fremont is kind of uh, a second home. And the other cool thing, which, and I forget all of the silent era movies, but it was the Buster Keatons and whatnot. Like a lot of those old teens and 20 movies involving the West westerns and stagecoaches stage were all filmed essentially along the base of the mountains back here. Oh, cool. oh, so yeah. just some little kind of weird yeah. why did they pick there? I don't know. But So uh, we're going to go right into it then. Um, who gets it? And <laughs> So who gets it? It. Exactly. We, we were just honestly just spitballing about things to talk about and I was like I want to know who Marshall thinks gets it like who are people he looks at in the sport we can go team owners for, or drivers or whatever i guess what i really want to yeah. know is probably drivers on your end who you know who do you look at and you're like okay this guy's got it he just needs to keep doing what he's doing and he's going to make it wherever he wants to go we're talking drivers yeah it can be anybody really well it's just there's so many factions within that but if we were to look at drivers on the sports car front I think Sean Rahal has tapped into something quite surprising because he's in a place that's no different than a hundred other young drivers, yet he's managed to stand up. Why? Uh, It's really interesting. It's it's a kid's personality. Obviously, he has to deliver, go and win, which he's done, bounced around a lot. Normally, that's a bad thing, right? Hey, we want to see you a full year and one thing, get a feel for, you know, hasn't done that either. So he's the normal metrics have been avoided in many areas and in a weird thing just from speaking to team owners and many others drivers as well uh, respected drivers they actually kind of dig the fact that the kid's never really been settled right yeah yet has excelled well in the fact he can jump in and be fast and just about everything he's driven that but the personality is what i keep coming back to and that's what i see with him when i speak with the kid and that i get from others can win races, proven that. It's not unique. Is adaptable, not necessarily unique. You can pick a bunch of other kids. I mean, yourself, we can throw you in anything. You'll be super fast. But as for a kid who is maybe coming up and hasn't earned a factory ride, who but is catching attention, I think there's something kind of simple and folksy about Ray Hall. And I don't mean simple as in dumb. He's a smart kid. But... He's not farting around on his phone all the time. He's not worried about the a selfie every five minutes. He seems to be unplugged a little bit from the stereotypes associated with his generation of driver. Yeah. So I, I think that is what might be resonating with some of the older folks who own the teams and the cars and wherever and want to give him opportunities. 
that being said, he's kind of burned up that cachet, right? Yeah. So now he actually has to go and go deliver. And the sure. goodwill yeah. has gotten him yeah. into some doors that normally are hard to hard to open. I think, I mean, if I'm looking at other people that get it, Joey Hand stands out as yeah, one. Yeah, definitely. Real throwback mentality. And I've had the, the good fortune of working with him before. Just to, He might be the perfect modern-day prototype for a at least American, young American racing driver. He is a thousand percent team, factory, sponsor, whatever, is excellent on the mic. Give him, put something in front of him and he will speak into it with great ease and passion. In the car, blindingly fast, but also has the somewhat modern, elusive talent of technical development. It's not something a lot of young drivers get now. Spec series this, you ne- you know, you never change anything. You just have to work within a, a fixed box. He's someone where if I have a young driver and I wanted to say who you should be like, that's someone I'm pointing to. I see him as kind of the perfect blend of Scott Pruitt, half of Scott Pruitt and half of Bill Arberlin. If there's a knock against Joey, it's that I think maybe it's his Californian ways. He's pretty good at kind of just chilling and doing his thing. Right. He's not really someone stepping out into the uh, the spotlight unless asked. I think if you look towards IndyCar, Joseph Newgarden doing some really good work there on understanding his role. Being young, American, talented, good-looking kid, well-spoken, funny. Very funny. Yeah. Isn't forced. Uh, so there, I if I'm looking at drivers... Some of them have already kind of made it. You could say Newgarden, obviously, race winner now. Right. But, and granted, I'm sure there are a lot more I should be thinking of or should be coming to mind, but I'm more impressed than ever, though, with the quality of young driver coming up. And I think it's just the complete 24-hour immersion a young driver can have. We didn't grow up with YouTube. You couldn't watch someone else's lap at a track that you'd never been to to shorten your learning curve. You had to go in cold. You kind of knew it went left, and it probably went right, and you figure out the rest when you got there. There were no real coaching Mazda or Porsche or whomever wasn't bringing in an academy of kids, putting them in front of Lee Diffie and whomever else, and this is how to speak, and this is what not. You can become a motor racing college graduate, if you wanted to call it that, in ways that just never previously existed. So it's cool to see so many young drivers, the Piggots, the Albericos, the whomever else's, where they are true young professionals. Oh, wolf turds. There they are. That looks like a wolf oh, turd. Oh, the wolf turds. That, I mean, I haven't Good seen... Good call, Marshall Pruitt. Well, I've <laughs> never <laughs> seen a wolf Thanks, turd man. in person. Yeah. But I have to admit, if we were just visualizing what they might look yeah, like. Yeah, this, this is pretty I'm accurate put representation. Yeah. Wow. Speaking of what, we were talking about this on the drive-in. You're the, uh, <laughs> uh, you're the only person in the, in the history of motorsports journalism to have ever referenced the wolf from uh, Pulp Fiction. Oh, that can't be. And no, I'm pretty sure it's true. Um, and that, that, that kind of speaks to, I think, the big reason we wanted to meet with you is, is to me, and, I, and I'm not kissing your ass because I'm a PR it's guy. It's a big but ass, but he's so sort of, he's sort of kissing <laughs> your ass. I'm kissing your ass a little bit. Uh, <laughs> but... Uh, um, there's sort of a kind of a feel and, and, and uh, a standard that I think you adhere to that I don't necessarily think we see in, in 
some other journalists out there. And um, to me, I'm sure there's a bunch of reasons. I'm sure you have your own sort of code of how you work. But I think a big part of it is that you didn't start as a journalist, correct? You, correct. You got in the, so, so I don't know how many people know that as far as where you started and how this all began. That's funny. When I f first transitioned into this career, <laughs> my whole mindset and notion was to hopefully become or establish myself as a legitimate member of just the community. Of this profession, this sure. side. I always just called it this side of pit wall because right. I'd spent my whole career on the other side. And it's funny how that was, all, I don't want to say baggage, but it was just this internal feeling. Right. I never really had anyone saying, oh, you're just a dumb mechanic or whatever. Right. Well, what kind of, so what kind of jobs did you have? Started out with a bottle. I was entrusted with a bottle of Windex and a roll of paper towels and nothing more on a Super V team, SCCA Super V. So that, for the younger generation, is one of those old racing series that isn't around anymore. <laughs> uh, Paul Fanner spoke a little bit about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we got that. But that was my first, I, I guess, real job in racing, and that's all they would entrust me with. I think I was 16 or so, and they genuinely had no reason to give me anything more. Uh, I almost, I tried to help by installing the front wheels on the Super V and torquing them and one, uh, because I was too stupid, I didn't get the wheel seated on the drive pegs, and it was actually sitting off and torqued. Ooh. And thankfully, the driver noticed that and said, just so we're clear, you're never touching anything metal again. <laughs> right. uh, and it took a while to earn trust there. But right. uh, my dad was a mechanic and amateur race car driver, so I grew up going around the Bay Area and the West Coast to races with him as a kid. Just, you know, like anyone does, throw your kid and kid or kids in the back seat and off you go. So that was a culture I kind of came up in as father as a mechanic and racer. Uh, got involved with it around 86, I think. And then just continued from there as a mechanic and then became a professional race car mechanic. Uh, working mostly in open wheel, a little bit of sports cars. Spent uh, some time in 1990 in the GTP series IMSA, which was really cool and then worked my just worked my way up the open wheel ladder probably one of the more prolonged open wheel ladder careers of anyone just because i think from super v in 86 uh i finished in 96 and in indy lights so you know two formula ford super v's two liters atlantics and then indy lights and mechanic engineering more on the data engineering but then that uh, transition towards race engineering and then my first crack at IndyCar was in the IRL which isn't necessarily a point <laughs> of pride but right. there's right. <laughs> but it was there uh, well no I mean yeah. hey there, that's the, the, the pathway for plenty of us yeah, but thank you. Uh, so worked in the IRL for five years also worked in cart spent a season in cart so that was awesome um, more either somewhere in the engineering or man managerial side team management more in the IRL, but then also engineering. And then at 30-ish, I think, 31, the end of the 2001 season, just decided I'd kind of had enough. Yeah. Um, I mean, that'd been 15 years or so on the road. Yeah. Uh, and at least that time, really hard to have a wife or girlfriend when you're gone all the time. Yeah. You can't have a dog because you kind of have to feed it. Yep. Yeah. It just some of these things, and it's not a complaint by any means. But if you if you're looking for what the average person would consider a normal life, racing is kind of an all-in thing or an all-out. 
and I figured I'd done enough. I'd done five consecutive Indy 500s, achieved essentially every wish, goal, or dream I'd had. Yeah. And said, all right, cool. Let's <laughs> having a girlfriend is there and not mad. Yeah, right. And kind of took that step. And uh, in the mid-90s, earlier 90s, I'd done a little bit of writing. Yeah. Uh, my first piece was ever was published and on track, which I still have, and that's just it's so amazing because that was my Bible forever. Uh, my dad, funnily enough, on the how I got into writing and that side, my dad had a uh, speech impediment um, where he uh, essentially would struggle with certain words, wouldn't struggle with others, um, and so he had to... He had to read the dictionary essentially front to back, and find alternate words to use. And to sort of so curve around whatever issues he had saying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you couldn't, if uh, he would trip over saying "happy," well, maybe "pleased" was the alternate sure, that right, would just yeah. work. So it was interesting. Very educated person, but it was just interesting growing up with a father who stuttered, and so because he had to constantly look for words that worked with his brain. That was kind of the culture I grew up around. Yeah. And so with that, he was an avid reader of everything and would frequently just point things out. Oh, hey, do you see how they phrased that thing? you see how they use that word here instead of there? And, you know, for me, I'm, that works for me. But if they... An interesting culture of my father of a... It's not a disability, whatever you want to call it, but of the speech impediment where it actually fostered an interest in English. Sure. Just learning... Had to find trying, a way to around c- it. trying to command it right. more gooder than others. <laughs> so the transition to uh, was there like a break in between, or did you go straight from from working on teams to writing about them? No, I took about four years yeah. for the most part. Sorry, as I hit my mic That's while right. eating a wolf turd. I was wondering if there was life after motor racing. Yep. And I could not come up with a form of real-world employment that would be an automatic fit. In the sense of satisfaction? Oh, no, just qualifications. Oh, okay, fair enough. I mean, Is that because you've just been in racing the whole time and that was all you knew? For the most part, yeah. yeah. I get that question a lot. What would you do if you left racing? And I'm like, I don't think I can. Hmm. You know, nothing's going to keep my interest. Do you have a data system? I can Yeah. Right. Yeah. data the hell sure. out of that. Sure. Um, you need me, what are we looking at? And you, we need some sort of chassis set up on the shopping cart here at Safeway? <laughs> I, I mean, trust me, but uh, turn a wrench, change an engine. I mean, there's the skills that I had acquired in motor racing, as I found, young boys and girls looking at future careers, not particularly sought after in the real world. Yeah. And so I had tried to leave motor racing more than once, finally did at the end of 2001, and found a, I was living in Oakland at the time, and there was a temp agency there. I forget the lady's name owned it, but she was a super nice lady. And I basically went in and said, I don't know how to tell you this, but I think I'm fairly smart. I probably don't know a lot of whatever your clients are looking for, but I think I can kind of adapt to it. What do you think? And I went from being an engineer in IndyCar to a personal admin to executives. Nice. Right. And one of those first one of my first jobs, it was a temp job, was as the admin to Industrial Light and Magic's uh, CFO. 
Oh, nice. Okay. <laughs> Just completely They're random. That. Yeah. So I love that yeah, because okay. I mean that was driving up, commuting up to uh, San Rafael every day, but. Right. You know, but you're walking over and seeing the dailies on yeah. this and that. I mean, the and the first interview fields, was yeah. bizarre because there's that an address, <laughs> and you pull up, and it doesn't say ILM. Yeah, yeah, you Kerner, uh, Kerner, Kerner Optics, or whatever. I forget whatever it was, but yeah. basically, they'd been so inundated with fans over the years, it just yeah. had to present themselves as a random, sure. uh, random business. Yeah. And so, I kind of walked up, said, "No, all right, that's not it." Well, let me go in and ask. And so they buzzed me in, and I walked in, and in this big glass case is freaking Darth Vader. Like, you wow. know, one yeah, of the right, right, right. I'm like, okay, I'm in the right place. There you go. But it was just one of those things where it was frustrating. Although I was doing a thing that I loved, thought it was really cool and amazing, and how many folks on the planet Earth get to do what I'm doing, it's also very humbling to come out of that at 30-ish, yeah. 31, and go, wow, great memories. Nothing of any value really to anyone yeah. else. So I'm going to sit at a computer and type emails or letters for somebody and get them coffee and do stuff. Yeah. Not that doing those things is bad or humbling, <coughs> but just the fact that you've lived for a while and have nothing of value to anybody. Yeah. That was really humbling. And it's not like you stopped paying attention to racing at this point. You were just. Not, not at all. Yeah. And so that's where I first, get it, first started getting involved in World Challenge. Right? Because there were some smaller midfield teams that could would benefit from an engineer for the weekend or team manager or both. I did a lot of that team manager and engineer, right. which kind of works at a, in a smaller scale. Yeah. So did a lot of that. 2004, 5, 6, 7. Um, was doing a lot of other weird things, helping managing a friend's uh, NHRA drag team, uh, doing pro Mazda coaching. I mean, was going up to Sears Point for a weekend with uh, 50 spec me a class of SCCA with 50 spec Miatas and coaching like six people right, at the same right. time and realizing I'm underserving all of them. <laughs> I should reduce that number. Uh, but a lot of it just to try and keep. Thank you. Sort of keep a hand in it. Keep somewhat involved in yeah. racing. Yeah. Try and make some sort of a living and wonder if there's, thank you, if there's something else uh, that I can I do. Kind of put it all together with, sure. And so really awesome. long story short, uh, was going to <coughs> those World Challenge races, and it was in and around the time that the uh, world, what turned out to be World Challenge Vision, yeah. was created. We started having some of those formative meetings of, hey, this, this sucks. It, w these are cool cars and great racing, and there's no promotion. How do we fix this? Weird. And <laughs> around that time, <laughs> coincidentally, I noticed that on Speed.com that they essentially had no. Uh, online coverage of Pirelli World Challenge and said, all right, well, I'm already kind of at these races, Eric Prill. Uh, is there somebody you know there that I might offer just to write something to help, right, just, just to help the series? Yeah. And you can absolutely credit Eric Prill for introducing me to Joe Tripp, who was the uh, editor of Speed.com. I met Joe I taught him on a three-day racing school at Atlanta randomly. Nice. He just came to do it as like, a, hey, I'm going to come to Red Atlanta this weekend and go learn. He wanted to learn Red Atlanta or do something there. And so he got paired in my group just coincidentally, and he had a speed jacket. And so I just started talking to him, and we're, we're still friends on Facebook to this day. But it was one of those things I didn't know anything about him until the last day except for he was Joe and he was fun. Yeah. You know? So it's funny. I hear his name every now and then. I'm like, I know that guy. The uh, yeah. delivery of the ketchup, by the way, in the rolling rock container. Well, I it's, think it's, it's barbecue, actually barbecue sauce, sauce there, there okay. kiddo. Excuse me. Yeah, look at that. Take nice that home. The delivery of so the other thing, too, which was 
a bit fun, and this I think was definitely born out of distance from motor racing, is my father had done a little bit of writing throughout the time. He was a Swedish and British car specialist, and he used to write for a Saab magazine or newsletter, whatever it was, and he just loved it. It was just a, a point of passion for him, and I remember that growing up, and said, you know, it was cool writing for On Track, but wonder if I could actually be a person who writes a story that someone wanted to publish uh, <laughs> yeah, on a more yeah. frequent basis. Sure, sure, sure. And so started contributing to like Sport Compact Car and a lot of kind of tuner right. importers because that's it's what I was most really interested up, in. Sure. And did a f you know, few other things, Modified Magazine, it's sad, we're kind of running through a list of <laughs> closed publications. <laughs> but I started doing that now that I remember around I think 2004-ish. Right. And so I won't, I could not claim that any of what I wrote was particularly good, skillful, or worth reading, but it was the first. Um, it was the first inkling that at least at that kind of niche, slower level, not the majors. We're not talking road and track, hard yeah, driver, the, the heavy better, hitters, yes. but at least in that second tier, mm -hmm. I have at least the chops to do this. Sure. And so from there, that's where I started thinking. Okay, this working Monday through whatever Thursday and getting on a plane and going to Moss Sport for the weekend and bombing back and being wiped out at work. It's cool. It pays well. Uh, Over it. Yeah, <laughs> no, it'll wear you out. Sure. And you're not getting any younger. This is all happening. So, yeah. Yeah. so that's yeah. when I met my wife in two th uh, 2002. Um, got married in 2005. She was supportive of everything I was doing, but the whole, why don't I get out of full-time racing so I can live a life, but gosh, now I'm just packed every weekend with racing and normal yeah. job. That became a bit much, so with the uh, the bit of writing that I did, also went back to college um, and was really keen, although I was there for computer science, was really keen on the various English classes. I had one teacher who was just kind of opened a big door for me nice. on... Uh, how to write, which still took many years, and I'm still figuring that part out. Right. Just all kind of gelled towards 2006-ish with this uh, Speed.com opportunity, and that's really where I started on this path now. Nice. All right. Well, so on the media front, who do you look up to? Among the professionals, and I will admit that I, this is probably sounds really snobby, but whatever. I really only read work by those who I consider to be professionals. Yeah. Showing up at a race and getting credentials. Um, you know, uh, you, you have totally a certain gentleman on the, uh, on the live stream at the Rolex every year who does get credentials and claims to be a no, member of the year. media. That oh. was just one year. Okay. <laughs> that gentleman like, was on. That was Brian. <laughs> 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 I was like, wait, wait, what? No, every year. Every year. <laughs> That was just this yeah, year. That was a one-off. That was a one-off. We'll see how, how that uh, tradition continues. So do you want me to share a, a quick funny sidebar on yes. that? Yes. Okay, because I've never made this one public. No, this was a recent out. one. It's yes. happening. Yes, finally. So there was a very... Well, you, there's no reason not to name names, by the way. Oh. You don't have to. There was a very important sports car race that took place uh, in September at Circuit of the Americas, where we had a European racing series, World Endurance Championship, in IMSA there as well. Uh, as a season-long hard card holder for both. Uh, was meant to be there, unfortunately had some family things get in the way, but got an email from my friend who heads the uh, communication side on the WEC and said, hey, I'm just checking with you. <laughs> uh, but this guy, Rami, is claiming to, uh, is <coughs> requesting credentials from us 
for this event, and he's citing you as a reference. You doing okay over there? Yeah, something. Uh, Rami touched your heart again. Don't lie. <laughs> so he said. Uh, I he, knew it. He said this. Uh, this guy, Mr. Rami Schmargelzagelzak, whatever it was, uh, <laughs> is there. requesting credentials, and he's citing you as a reference. Um, but mainly, where the issue is, is we ask all journalists who we're unfamiliar with to present. Uh, evidence of their work to qualify them. And he has provided uh, multiple links to stories you've written. And so I, I was I was hooked at that point. <laughs> I'm like, this is going know. to be good. You're like, yeah, he's in. He's I good. don't <laughs> yes. know where this is going. Right. But when, so, and I'm thinking, okay, there's no way Rami, who's a, f- who don't know, those who don't know him, is a fan, maybe a, a, a super fan, yep. but unfortunately... He self-declared most influential fan in motorsports. Unfortunately, has also been given media credentials, uh, which he doesn't deserve. Not because he's a bad person, but because he's not a member of the media. It'd be like me uh, being able to drive your race car. I don't have the qualifications to do that, nor should I be allowed to. It's just really simple lines of where you do and don't belong. So Jeff, who's the head of the WC Communications, is doing his best to suffer Rami in these requests, <laughs> has asked for proof of his work, and And just put this in perspective, this is not an uncommon thing for somebody. I mean, you, you write the PR director of whatever track, if you're not hard-carded, you show a couple samples of work, you talk about the circulation for who you're there to work for. I mean, this is, this is standard procedure yep. within getting a, a credential. So where this veers off the railroad tracks <laughs> into a, a, a huge <laughs> town-destroying uh, so issue here, yeah. <laughs> Is Rami does that, replies, and sends links to, I think, five or six of my stories on IMSA, the WC, about whatever. And I think you had maybe one or two of Gary Watkins' stories from Autosport. That happened to be on Racer as well. And Jeff was clearly befuddled. Like, Like I can just see that he's going, okay, well, yeah, yeah, I'm (laughs) I'm expecting to see Rami whatever's byline, but no, it's mine or or Watkins. And so Jeff responds and says... I'm unclear how does work from Marshall or Gary qualify you for media credentials to the WC race at Coda? And he replied, look in the comments. Yes! (laughs) Yeah, that's amazing. So, boys and girls, if you want to play motor racing reporter for the weekend... Just leave comments and articles written by someone else, and you too are qualified for all access. You're going to be riding along with Mark Weber Man. at Dubai. I had such Four a professional bar. thing I was going to go into. No, I was you gonna, can't. I was going to compare your leaving motorsports to go into the real world and just maybe see what direction you would think for the Kirk Dooley announcement, who's coming from the military world, and now he's going into motorsports, kind of the exact opposite of what you're doing. But now I just want to get into fan comments on yeah. on racer.com. Fan art told me that this we're not it. exactly uh, heading down a unknown path here. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> well, okay. Like, well, we'll let's do, uh, let's we'll do, do the Kirk. We'll we'll okay, yeah. Let's do the Kirk thing. Okay. Let's talk about whatever. Um, can you kind of relate to his, you know, him coming into the industry as you left it and had to go find real world work, and now he's kind of bringing his, you know, I'm I'm assuming because I don't know what the role is going to be yet, but his practices of managing troops and 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 logistics and things like that and he's going to bring that into the series and 
Sean and I have like a kind, like almost like a hatred for. Oh no, it's not kind of. It's well, I was trying to soften the blow, okay. but uh, we dislike reading comments about things where nobody really knows what's going on, yeah. and yet they're still angry. So case yeah. in point, with this article in particular, yep. the first comment on Racer is. Uh, you know, I see nothing that qualifies him for this job. It's great that he served his country, but there's nothing to do with his resume on this mm -hmm. job. And, and let me but set the stage on this article real quick. Is it correct? Because is this your article? I don't remember. Robin. Um, Robin, Robin did it, yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. But nowhere in this article does it define what his position is. Yeah. Correct. Like it doesn't say the scope, what he's going to do. So there's some no sort point. of liaison role is yeah. the only thing that it's listed. Right. So at no point, it's not like he's going to be the head of competition. So we don't know right. what he's really going to do. Right. And then the forum guys start saying. Oh, uh, he has no business doing this. There's no resume. He's got no racing background. He says he's a racing fan. Yeah. <laughs> it's like he could literally be in charge of parking the rigs. Yeah, or like maybe there's some sort of like military liaison position, you know, but we're not going to – so how do, how do you deal with this? Because at a certain point, there's got to be a, a balance between being annoyed and flat-out entertained. Because most of these comments – or not most of these, but a lot of – I would say probably every single thing you've posted based on where we're going with this yeah. has probably had some negative sort of comment, whether it's sports car mm -hmm. racing or, or oh, IndyCar oh, or, or whatever. Um, <coughs> do you care? Do you care? Yes, but I'm learning not to. Yeah. yeah. Um, I've never claimed to have super thin, uh, super thick skin. That's my own, that's my problem, not someone else's problem. But I have this... I have this weird thing, and I think it's because of my generation, not because I'm 44 necessarily. Or I mean, I don't know if it's tied to the my numerical age, but I was raised by someone. Maybe it's because of my father's era, but was raised by someone who absolutely came from the. If you're going to say something, say it. Say it to the person. If you want to stand behind something, yeah. bold, declarative, something where you take a firm position. It shouldn't be against nothing. Right. Standing and just staring at the wall and yelling at the wall, bit of a wasted exercise. Right. So I know this is a doesn't fit the internet because the internet's all about anonymity and fake screen names and just people talking lots of crap. The part where I struggle is I was raised and bought into and hold firmly to that sentiment. Right. Ryan, if you think I'm a complete idiot, I don't have a problem with that belief. If that's something you want to share with the world, I do believe you should share that with me. Doesn't mean we're going to be friends. We might hate each other right. even more afterwards. Right. But I do kind of come from that place of, okay, interpersonal communication, that's kind of the foundation of society, yeah. <laughs> life, <laughs> progress. <laughs> so what, where things stand out, and I can't claim to have had a perfect track record since I joined the Internet, but I can definitely say as I've gotten older, I read fewer comments. I almost never read comments about stuff I've written because I want to, A, <coughs> argue, and that doesn't get you anywhere, right, right. but B, and this probably isn't something I should say, but I just want to fight. Right. Yeah. Punch people in the face yeah. and do serious physical harm. Yeah. And I don't know even know who these people are. I couldn't tell you where they are, who, whether it's a man, woman. I couldn't tell you anything right. about it. But just someone who has a mindset of, I'm going to crap all over this thing without offering anything of value, that's where I, that's the part where I struggle. People saying, hey, you wrote this story about A, you missed all these points, You're, the f entire premise is flawed. 
That stuff I'm fine with. Right. That's actual a intelligent criticism. criticism. <laughs> right. If you can, if you can take, and I've had that happen before, and I, and I ended up walking away going, "Wow, I really wish I'd sat on that longer because it sure. clearly wasn't cooked." Right. Right. But for the most part, the chatty sniping. You know, I just, my standard reply is just, yay, comma, you said something negative on the internet. <laughs> right. <laughs> because right. how else, do you, you're just patting a child yeah, on the head right. for yeah. being petulant, going, yeah, great job, Billy, right. go pee on your shoes a little right. bit more. I don't read most of the comments, and it's not restricted to Racer. It's yeah. most places, because I, I could be wrong, but I would, I don't believe society's great bulk of discourse is contained at the bottom of something that someone else wrote. Sure. If yeah. that's where we're looking for great insights on life or the thing that you just read. Like, what a strange thing. Hey, I read this thing in Time Magazine or Sports Illustrated. Did you read it? Cool. Let's talk about it. Yeah. Like, where did that thing go in life? Instead, it's type, type, type to person you don't know. You're wrong. You're an idiot. Screw you. Right. F off. Right. We're getting dumber. <laughs> because yeah. we're, yeah. and, uh, you, and we I'm are. not saying people are dumb, I'm saying yeah. we are getting dumber because we're accepting this. Right. Yeah. It's just ease, it's ease and the ability to just spout off, hey, I have an opinion, Right. you know, I thought it, then I said it. <laughs> yeah, that's so it's awesome. <laughs> it's, it's Bill yeah. Burr. That's right. It's just, but so I just thought it, then I said it, I'm awesome. Yeah, so I, <laughs> I try. <laughs> Bill Burr finally made it in. <laughs> I just try and step away. Gentlemen. I try and step away from that. So I used to get caught up. I used to like try and reply, and it, it's sad. If, you, if I were to clock the amount of time where I've written something, said, no, I can't post that. <laughs> Rewritten it, all right, that's a little less hostile. And by the fifth version, I'm sitting there going, idiot, 20 minutes are gone. Right. You're getting nowhere in right. life. Right. No. So now I've just kind of transitioned to the... I don't. I often rarely get to that first draft of a response. Just go. Meh. That's cool. Yeah. You're smarter than I am. You know more. I right. am an idiot. Right. I can't write. I'm <coughs> the person who I did catch a comment just because I, I don't know why I read it, but put up a story yesterday about Andy Blackmore and Ryan Long, the two artists who put together a print of all of Justin Wilson's wins. Yeah. And the win part, very clear. I believe it's actually <laughs> in the opening in the sentence. Okay. Right. And yeah. one of the comments was something along the lines of, "Oh." Uh, no Minardi or Jaguar. Again, someone <laughs> was right. upset that right. the cars that he didn't, again, just where right. you go. Just, what are you doing? How did yeah, you, yeah. and this is just reading comprehension or awareness, I don't know. And then the other one, which I'll ask you guys about, which this to me is the new one, which just constantly blows my mind. The responding to a tweet or a Facebook post with an opinion or statement or question without reading the link to the story whatsoever. So responding to a headline right. or asking a question, hey, what date is that thing yeah. inside the story? It's yeah, November like 4th, whatever yeah, it is. Yeah. Right. That is just like a whole new level of, laziness. oh my God, yeah. we're all going to die. Just pure laziness. <laughs> we're all going to die. Yeah. The other thing I, I try to embrace more, and I don't want to say promote more because to me promotion has an agenda behind it. And I don't think this has an agenda. I'm just trying to own it more. And that is... I'm a positive person, and I feel like that's a increasingly that no strange place. thing to be yeah. in a world among folks who are constantly looking at, oh my God, do you see the shoe she's wearing? Yeah. Right. Or whatever little thing. Um, you know, the, that brand new Camaro Z28R, such and such, oh, the livery on that thing's horrible. Yeah. You know, of all the things you could have said about this car that was being debuted, it wasn't, a, hey, 
idle. There's. Let me think of something positive to share. It's almost like. And this is a sweeping to... generalism, so I don't I mean this is any great indictment of society, but the thought of actually offering something positive or offering something not negative yeah. is a bizarre thing. It, one of those, maybe it's the Northern Californian in me, but I wake up like happy, like cool. Wow, <laughs> there's my wife. She's right. still here. <laughs> She's Thank amazing. <laughs> I get to do something I love. I get to talk with cool people. I blah, blah, blah. But like, life's pretty good. And then I think back and go, well, what about when I wasn't super happy in life? Life was still pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. And so I know time, place, people you're <coughs> raised by, environment. It's not like we're all one person. But I guess if you have choices, which we do through social media, through all these, the hundred little uh fingerprints you put out in the world each day on yourself right. telling people who I am where my mind's at my political leaning my sexual preference whatever it is like you think of all those little imprints you make on a daily basis and I wonder how many people actually take possession of that and go oh so should I just be the should I be the catty person who's always crapping on things and hope that people think I'm cool should I tap into that is that the thing I want to leave behind in life or go oh Actually, maybe there's some warmth here we could embrace a little bit. On that same page, we just saw a tweet that was very well heard about in the sports car paddock at Petit Le Mans. And a father's or a son of a father who's sponsoring the series put out something pretty uh, stupid. <laughs> there's no other way of putting it. That was the dumbest thing I've read in a while. Um, two parts to the question, like, so it gets written up on road and track. You put it in a small column. That column's now gone. I think it's still there. I think that part was just taken that, out. Yeah, right. that part of the column is gone. Where does that come from? Does that come from that company sponsoring that magazine and them saying, hey, they're upset with this? Because when I read that, I thought, thank God somebody said what happened because you shouldn't be allowed to run your mouth like that and not be any consequences. Because everybody from my side of things, from driver's side of things, that saw it thought, wow, okay, entitled kid throwing his toys against the wall is upset because something didn't go his way and the funny thing to me and other drivers was that that wasn't going to go that way anyway so you just wasted the one bullet in the gun on a non-issue um what happens why does it get taken down is it just a political sponsor thing and we can edit this out no, if you no, don't no, want to talk no, about it, edit it. I, I a i don't know and that might sound like I'm a dodge but it isn't i write i feed my clients content and the overwhelming majority of the time, they accept it, meaning they use it. Right. I mean, they receive all of it. What they receive almost always goes up. But it's up to them, once they get it, to edit it, alter it, pull something out, add something in. I mean, it, it's something where at least for those who don't know or maybe even don't care, as a writer, there's if we're talking print, there's usually a pretty serious back and forth, kind of a, a handshake, multiple handshakes. Here's the third draft. Do you, okay, it works, all right. Yeah, but f tweak this. What is this word correct? You get that in print because that stuff actually does, I don't want to say matter, but it does matter. For uh, the web, where anything can be changed at any point in time, I don't know if it, as fine a uh, microscope is placed over that content. So I know that I filed this. I thought that on the topic of Cooper's tweet, I write a weekly digital column for Road and Track. 
with all the busyness and I was also sick coming back from Petite, I didn't file one that week. So the one you're referring to, although his tweet was then 10 days old or whatever it was, yeah. it was actually my first column since Petite. Right, so right. just again, understand a little bit of time had lapsed, but <coughs> it was my first time getting to anything. I thought what I wrote was actually fairly vanilla, and it wasn't and it attempting was. yeah. to be vanilla. Yeah, it's just yelling at somebody. Again, uh, just yelling doesn't get anywhere. Right. Trying to say that, hey, this isn't good. Be smart. <laughs> and the next time something like this might happen again, you know, I think folks are probably going to start pulling digital devices so those who would be prone to tweet don't. It's essentially, the, you know, I think how I ended that. From what I understand, there was a preference for that to not, exist. not live. <laughs> and... Uh, again, I'm not the editor-in-chief of right. roadandtrack.com or anything like that. I'm, they're a client of mine. They've been a long-standing and great client. But there is an absolute surrendering when I file something that, okay, I've given it to you. They can do whatever they you want. You handle it how you want. That's yours. Right. My name might be on it. And I've had to go back sometimes go, hey, you know that thing you, you added in? Well, let's pull that out because yeah. I don't <laughs> believe that. Yeah, for this sure. This is actually the opposite going, hey, we don't believe in the thing you filed. So sure. it went up briefly, but now it's coming back down. Done for. So on that level, you know, one of the one of the reasons I want to talk to you is on the editorial side of what you write. I really, really like what you do on the editorial side. And, and the reason why I like you do is, is uh, Ryan and I keep talking about this. One of my big pet peeves is when somebody criticizes a series. Well, we'll use IndyCar as an example. Uh, the thing we constantly hear with IndyCar is the most generic of criticism, like, they need marketing! And then all the forum people go, yeah, they need <laughs> marketing! And you're like, well, that's not helpful to anything. Can and I can I ahead. use an Andy Lally quote on this? Yes. Because I was going to mention earlier, and I use this every day because he called me out on it once, and I was like, you're absolutely right. Complaining without offering a solution yeah. is bitching. Yeah. So don't bitch. Right. And that's exactly what that turns into. It's yeah. like, you know, they need marketing, but that's not a solution. That's just like that's a just generalization. A random thing. You know what I mean? Or the right. marketing sucks. It's like, okay, then what would you do to fix it? Exactly. Uh, more marketing? And so my point <laughs> is that there are journalists who are, you know, within the motorsports world, there are journalists who are, you know, really admired and respected who do this, in my opinion, a lot. And it drives me nuts. And the stuff that you write for, uh, doesn't do that. You usually mm. cite I mostly, mean, I'm sure, like, mostly but, doesn't. But, but you usually cite a team owner's comment on something that maybe sways it in a direction one or the other. You you write things like a proper essay where there's you know pros and cons and balance statements, and then you sort of offer your your personal insight. But it's, there's usually a foundation behind it, and I feel like that's going away. And I don't know if if you feel that same way, or do you? Is there an ethos you stick to? Uh, I don't. I can't say if it's going away. Uh, I think most people that n know me, or at least know me professionally, know, and because I, I say it frequently, I rarely read other people's work sure. in motor racing, especially online, and that's not a negative statement against others. Uh, if anything, it comes from my uh, long-time passion for comedy and listening to comedians. Comedians <laughs> say, <coughs> well, just uh, growing up, huge fan of comedy. Uh, all throughout my life and just have heard so many comedians say, uh, or I should say many of my favorite comedians say that they try not to watch other comedians yeah. because they're afraid some of those jokes, even if it's not repeated verbatim, but those ideas and abstracts are going to come into their work. Sure. Absolutely. So I'm not claiming like my work is so good I don't want to be influenced <laughs> by others. That's what just I heard. But yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> it's just a case of people's approach, people's mindset, people's take, I try not to read them because at least for whatever I write, an opinion piece, an editorial, whatever, 
I like to at least lie to myself and say that I'm writing from an original place. It's at least original to me. And if someone else beat me to it by a day or two, which has happened plenty of times, you go, wow, I wish I'd written that sooner. Because now I look like I just read Fred such and such's thing and now I'm ripping them off. But I think the price of access to the internet and having an opinion today is at an all-time low. Right. My wife, <laughs> my wife won't watch Fox News refuses to because uh, not because she's a Democrat but because their views so violently oppose her own so it isn't all purely political it's a mindset thing Uh, I've yet to find a really good something in the center but that's what I'm always kind of looking for if this is just a group of people all agreeing on something whether you're mad or happy about something the hell do you go from there? It's just us holding up mirrors to one right. another and reflecting right. that we're all awesome yeah, and we gonna, know more and we're the best. Yeah, you're not going to grow. So at, l- at least mindset-wise for what I try and write in an opinion piece, in an editorial, in an explainer, the general mindset is let's have a conversation. Let's have a balanced conversation. Uh, the If I can't learn from something or help someone learn from something, then for me, I feel like I'm not doing what the writers did for me or continue to do for me when I'm trying to learn. So I don't know if that sounds, if that, it's not meant to sound like an elevated mindset. It's just, if all you can do is go and rant and yell about something or right. say, gosh, this is the best and this person's the best ever, you go, all right, it's a little thin. Yeah. It's a little thin. That, that's, a, that's a celebration or a teardown, but right. do we get anything from that? I don't know. So I try and at least pick the middle where you go, cool, let's kind of weave, let's weave something together. But you have to admit, IndyCar needs marketing. <laughs> they do, Sean. They do. They, it, something I was just thinking of, I have a newfound love for Jim Jeffries, the comedian. Hmm. And one of his... Uh, How'd you discover that, Ryan? This guy got stuck in a car with for yeah. two weeks, stupidly. Are you a Jim Jeffries fan? Played him for a me. little bit. You have to be very. I'm very guarded in who I recommend Jim Jeffries to. I would put I mean, you in that category. You didn't play it until we got to Arizona. Yeah, I had to wait because there's certain states that's just not allowed. By the time <laughs> I get to Arizona. <laughs> so he has a uh, rant on gun laws, and one of his things that he that, that I just loved, and I think we need to somehow incorporate it into especially forums, is uh, he was talking about how back in the day when you had to load a musket a lot less things got shot because it yeah. took so long to load the gun you eventually calmed down. Now it's immediately you can pull the trigger and bang. So maybe every forum post should take 15 like minutes to type. Procedure. Well, it just takes, you know, you press a button and it takes six minutes to point like <laughs> A. Okay, T-H-E. And it's like T. Two minutes later, H. Well, you know, eventually you're going to give up. Jeffrey's take sounds like the old Chris Rock joke about what if every bullet costs $5,000. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. exactly. You're going to hang on there to that. Go. Be a lot less crunk. Yeah. yeah. And if you got shot, you knew someone really yeah, wanted really to kill didn't your like ass. It. Yeah, exactly. So what comedy albums are in your iPod right now? Or iPhone? <sighs> so <coughs> Bill Cosby was my absolute... This just took a turn. ...greatest influence. <laughs> and he no, is. No. He continues Bill, to be. The comedy of Bill Cosby. He was he a doctor. absolutely amazing. He Bill Cosby's... <laughs> <laughs> we just heard something about that today. Yeah. He's, He's like going. losing all of his doctorates yeah, from everybody yeah, as of like this morning. Yeah. <laughs> Cosby's comedy probably shaped my comedic mindset sure. and also just filter at looking at life outside of my parents probably more than anyone else I can think of. Yeah, my um, uh, my girlfriend and I were just having this conversation because 
she once she she'd heard the expression like two days ago that there's no new jokes. And I was telling her, yeah. yeah, no, that's absolutely true. And she's like, well, what about Louis C.K., who I love? It's like, Cosby did a lot of that stuff. Yeah. You know, jokes about your kids and whatnot. But go on. No. Yeah. Uh, so pretty much all of Cosby's albums. Uh, Bill Burr, obviously. Yeah, um, I love him. There's a huge... Roddy Dangerfield's also a okay. massive, massive influence. His style of comedy al- almost is, is wiped from the earth, but I'm fortunate to say that uh, my mother, who was not always particularly wise or restrictive about my adventures as a uh, teen, young teen, uh, let me go see Roddy Dangerfield at the Circle Star Theater. Holy Redwood, shit. My Redwood parents, City. when I was 10 years old, my parents took me to the Circle Star to see George Carlin. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. At, at 10. At 10. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah. That explains, no explains everything. A lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything. I got in a lot of trouble when I was Excellent. about 12 for... Uh, my mom again. I love George Carlin and his new album, whatever it was, had come out. And I thought, oh, my mom and dad, my father and my stepmother might like this. So my mom let me buy two copies, one for myself and one for them. Uh, and it, it never occurred to me that my this would be the single greatest revealing of how relaxed my mother's parenting skill were, right. skills were <laughs> by bringing home a George Carlin album with every curse word known to man and putting that on. Right. And it kind of halfway through whatever the first skit was on the record, I just remember my dad looking at me like, we're going to talk. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> This isn't okay. You're I, 12. I have to admit, I don't listen to as much comedy as I used to, but as a kid, I mean, Eddie Murphy, Carlin... Bill Cosby, uh, Stephen Wright, love Stephen yeah. Wright, uh, love Dennis Miller. His Off White album was really funny back in the day. Really, you know, Patton Oswalt, another huge fan. I met him in I think '94 at a Kinkos of all places. Just yeah, so always been a huge, huge fan of comedy. Just I don't know if I've listened to it that much lately. What other uh, forms of uh, or what other sports do you follow? Because I, w- I remember seeing you post about UFC one night, and I was like, oh, I didn't know you liked that stuff. That's cool. Anything else that you follow outside of racing? Here's a fun throwback, and I would have never guessed this. Guys, I'm a month and a half from being 45. As a kid, which I think m- many American kids in the mid-'80s fell in love with wrestling. I went to see the WWF Are and the Hulkster and all that. familiar with Bruce the Barber Beefcake? Yes. Okay. Do you know how he his, Do you know his demise? No. You're going to you're gonna yeah. have to download Andy Lally's on yeah. Dinner with Racers. Then I will yeah. do that. <laughs> so it is a story. Because, yeah, he's he's 42. Andy. <laughs> According <laughs> to Andy, he's like 28. Yeah. But he's, again, like I, I pointed this out to Sean in our podcast. Like Andy knows every wrestler and like the alliances mm-hmm. and yeah. who they fought and all that stuff. And it, it was a big deal back then. This has been crazy for me. And it, it has been a kind of got to start asking yourself questions if (laughs) at 44 (laughs) you've decided it's okay to really like wrestling again right (laughs) and so again that's judgmental as hell but that's fine i'm essentially judging myself but for about a three-year window in high school and again this was when sergeant slaughter and holster this is when all the stuff hit nationally so i was went and saw it a couple times so my wife who grew up, she's from Alabama, loved all the regional wrestling there. She just has been, be- uh, be- not begging, but, you know, for a while saying, hey, let's go, just go see wrestling just right. as a, on a lark for fun. Yeah, yeah. Right. How much fun? Because she has, uh, A, she's more in- she's m- far more intelligent than I am, the breadwinner in the house, um, really smart, but also is realizing she's looking for something that's just... Ridiculous. Dumb, simple yeah. fun. Right, right. Not dumb meaning unintelligent, but sure. just like 
you really just don't have back to process, yeah, exactly. oh, it's third and 14, right. and should they run this play? Yeah. No. no, just watch the show. people doing exciting, dramatic, funny things that are real but aren't real. Right. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. So she'd been just saying for a long time, come on, idiot, we just, fine, let's go. So I happened to do that. We bought tickets, went to see the WWE at, uh, in San Jose. And it was the most fun thing in the world. Yeah. <laughs> I'd imagine if, the, if you got the right crowd, it's unlike anything else. So here's the funny part, and this is just a further reminder of how stupid I am. The whole time we're there, I'm telling my wife, this is so awesome, because this is my, f this is my second time ever going to a wrestling event. The first time I was like 15. Sure. Um, what is it? I think my mom like dropped me off at the Oakland Coliseum and sat out in the parking lot because she didn't want to go. <laughs> and so I'm like, wow, how fun that you know, like 30-ish years later, I'm going back to see this. And then I, oh no, wait a minute. I'm like in '87, I went with some friends in high school. And we went to see this in the Oakland Coliseum. Oh, wait a minute, for like my 28th birthday. <laughs> <laughs> my friends want. My friends are like, "Hey, let's. Why don't we go?" So we went to the Cow Palace, and I saw yeah. the Rock and <laughs> Triple H stuff. I just scrubbed. Just either scrubbed, yeah, or yeah, I don't know what yeah. sort of trauma. But I started to realize, no, this is like the fourth or fifth time I've been to wrestling. Granted, it's been 15 or 16 years, but I'm there, and I'm like, okay, I like wrestling. Am I? What, <laughs> am I okay with it's, this? It's not right. shameful. So right. I know this is right. one of those things where you go, "Really, dude? This is your big life." crisis go to the mountaintop and and ask yourself about <laughs> but again it's you go all right i'm vaguely intelligent been to college i use words for a living i do some things that you would say whoa he's probably a little more serious adult mode is it okay to just go and do something fun and so now it's like hey monday you have monday night football and WWE Raw is on. And we kind of <laughs> switch back and forth right. like and have just here. as much yeah. fun. Yeah. And so I, that's one of the things that I'm embracing as I get older. As a kid, teens, 20s, like fun is kind of the first thought. And then right. you wrap that around yeah. whatever activities. You get a little older, fun is duty and responsibilities yeah. are kind of the first thing. You try and find fun. As I'm getting older, it's like, okay. I do lots of adult grown-ass stuff with it and have lots of responsibilities. It's okay to go just turn on the TV and look at people flying through the air and, and <laughs> for my entertainment. Um, uh, did you have something? Oh, nothing real. Well, yeah. Like same. Okay. I was just going to go with it. real. We're talking about motor racing. So uh, yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, you all the inconsequential ways to make a living we've, we've found. Yeah, we found a complete waste of time. Um, you, uh, you and I have traded several emails, and there's, there's clearly an affinity for late 80s, early 90s rap. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so list off some of, some of the, the best ones from you know that era. Grandmaster Flash. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Furious 5 for sure. Um, good Lord. I mean, Run DMC, yeah. Foundational. We've discussed uh, some Bismarcky. Yeah, I mean, Bismarcky for sure. I mean, my absolute go-to best of will be no better would be KRS-One best ever uh, Rakim okay. for sure Eric B and Rakim but Rakim as an MC although it's funny his body of work in terms of epic is actually fairly narrow definitely not someone who stood the test of time right. you could put yeah. KRS one up on stage tomorrow and he'd destroy fun. any MC yeah. Yeah. Uh, classic new you name it um, public, public enemy was huge huge influence and continues to be yeah. 
Beastie Boys. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I liked them in high school. License to Ill was kind of fun party stuff, and yeah. so I didn't that I didn't care for so much. But uh, they're you know as they started get it going with Check Your Head and a few other things, that yeah. was pretty amazing. You know, uh, my record collections somewhere over three thousand, and there's it's ridiculous. Not ridiculous good, but like a burden. You know, what the hell do I do with right, this? Right, right. Um, yeah, and vi- or CDs, something beyond that. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I always look at that and say, I'm so glad I have all this music because it has enriched my life. And then I also look at it and say, that's a down payment on a house. Yeah. <laughs> and you don't have a house, <laughs> idiot. So great music, no house. A recurring theme we have on the show is that we do a pass-along question segment. And so yesterday we met with Tanner Faust and Rutledge Wood from Top Gear USA. Tanner's question was he would like to know how you maintain your beard. I don't, for the most <laughs> part. <laughs> I don't. I really don't. I, I rarely trim it. As you can see, this is kind of, well, granted, I went to Petit Le Mans looking like a caveman, but uh, I'll usually try and stay somewhat presentable during the racing season, make sure my beard is you know, trimmed and cropped in some way, shape, or form, my hair as well. And you usually want to see it as the season is over. It doesn't get touched until I start getting ready for Daytona. Uh, Since I've had a really bizarre summer where I have done almost no travel and been working from home. Wow. No, my hair is stupid long. My beard, there's just not much maintenance put into it. And I I think that might also be an age thing. Like, I'm married. It's our 10th anniversary. I think she's going to stick around. She's she's grown accustomed to it. I don't really have to impress anybody with my facial hair trimming. Right. Sure. Just kind of a man. You wake up, and you, you know, you do your business, you go do your work, you hopefully lead a happy life. Like, if I have to do more than that, I would probably fail. Right. So I don't. Fair enough. Did you know that uh, Spencer Rampelli killed somebody? No. So Rutledge Wood asks, what has been your favorite race of all time that you got to watch? Not covering, but just enjoy as a fan, maybe while covering races, but what was a race you watched and said, man, that was perfect? Petit Le Mans 2008. Anything that stands out? Alan McNish throwing the uh, Audi R10 into the wall the on the parade the lap, lap. Yeah. team going down two laps, and their epic drive back to overtake Christian Clean in the Peugeot 908 with whatever it was in the final hour to win. Watching Allen's drive was mesmerizing. That was so amazing to watch that happen. Uh, And not only be there to watch it, but up close and see him in the corners and listen to the throttle input and just this. It helped me to appreciate coming out of a 90% open wheel background. It helped me to appreciate how dogged a sports car race could be and how and a premier driver like Allen could treat a sports car like he was qualifying an F1 car for 10 hours and he wasn't in the car for 10 hours. But that was pretty amazing to watch. Um, a lot of other little snapshots of things. Uh, the most impressive thing I've just about ever seen done in a racing car at a track was Montoya and his uh, ROP, his rookie orientation program at Indy in 2000. I was there with uh, a another rookie driver who was not quite as good as him. <laughs> uh, we happened to be pitted at pit out, so basically right at turn one at Indianapolis. And there weren't that many cars there, if I remember correctly. 
And the standard ROP process, at least back in 2000, was they would tell you the, the ROP is for drivers coming into Indianapolis, you know, they basically set you up through four speed phases. They want you to do 10 laps or so. Uh, it's changed throughout the years, but they want you to do 10 laps at uh, four different phases of speed, 175 to 185. Then they'll move that up to the next range of 10 miles per hour. And basically just work you up slowly. Right. So they do that for all the drivers, make sure everyone passes each phase, and they certify you to participate in the event. What they at least were telling drivers back then, pulling out for the first time ever at Indianapolis was, okay, go down pit lane, want you to go out, follow the, uh, the apron, blend onto the track coming out of turn two, go down the back straight, gas it up a little bit into turn three, take it easy, turn four, accelerate out of turn four, and when you get to start finish, lift. Right? Just whatever speed you've carried when you get start finish lift, coast the rest of the way through turn one, get through turn one, pick up the throttle. Right. And just this kind of progressive workup before you even get to the 175 or whatever the minimum yeah. threshold was. So, and they're not doing that with five cars on the track, they're doing it one driver at a time, at least in 2000. So, in there, turn one, can see all the way down, cars coming out of turn four, coming all the way at us, and we're essentially at the turn in point for turn one almost. So see Montoya coming down. This is his first time venturing out onto the track. And so you're expecting those things rev to, I think, 10, 3, 10, 5. Sure. It sounded good, but it wasn't crazy. But you expect to kind of hear the erp, erp, and just yeah, kind of fart it around. Easy. Yeah. <laughs> this SOB is clicking off the speed limiter, <laughs> winding this thing up. And I'm like, all right, there's Montoya guy. He's crazy. I didn't know him, but just his <laughs> right. reputation here is, you know, cart champion and erp, you know, badass and such. So you hear him come out of two. Quiet, it's a big don't, it's a, you hear everything. And so, hear him revving, and there's no, like, short shifting. This is grabbing gears. And going, all right, he's having a little fun, getting a feel. Still kind of revving it up, going to three. Okay, okay we're still kind of on it in four. And I'm just going, wow, this guy is ignoring the mighty yeah. right. IMS and what, they're, what they've decreed. So I'm thinking, all right, well, whatever, he's having a little being defiant, but... You'll get to start, finish, and lift, and coast. No. <laughs> Grabbing gears out of turn four. Blows past, blows past start, finish. First ever lap in Indianapolis. And so I'm watching him come at me from, from right to left, and I'm thinking, okay, he's just having fun. No, he's still he's on gone. the throttle, friends. So I don't know what the speed was, 200 or something like that. But he gets to turn one. Cold tires, no tire warmers. And gets to turn one, balls out, and essentially at turn in for turn one, that's when he lifts. So he's rocketing down the front straight, got all that weight on the back of the car, gets to turn one, lifts, which transfers all the weight to the front of the car, and then he essentially does a Montoya and dirt tracks a thing through turn one. And so he's fighting thing and it's snapping, and fighting and he's snapping, and fighting and he's snapping again. Finally, when those oscillations reduce to enough of a point where he can accelerate, Back to the power. bam, on the throttle, <laughs> and takes off again. <laughs> and I'm just watching this going, oh, my God, anyone else would have killed themselves. Right. But this crazy bastard, who clearly felt this car was well beneath his threshold of talent, yeah. said, that little ROP thing you have is kind of cute, guys. Yeah. I'm going to go out and find out for myself. Ignored everything rocketed all the way down the front straight, lifted, knowing that that was going to pitch the car, and just fed opposite lock and powered out of it and kept going from there. And they pulled him in and I think yelled at him or whatever it was, but 
I'd never seen such a, a display of personal belief that exceeded what everyone else told him was capable. And this wasn't at turn one at Laguna Seca. Right. This is turn one at Indianapolis where people die. No, he's got it. Going. He's good. Yeah. Amazing. That's and excellent. Words of Oreo. Eh. 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 Covers eh. Second part of that question from Rutledge Wood. He's got a two-parter for me. Good yeah. Lord. Yeah. I never even met him. Thanks, Rutledge. If you could have been in any racing series as a driver in any time period, what would it have been? GTP. Yeah. What car would you have gone with? I love... Out of passion, not out of results. If all of them uh, are the same. All the cars, all the fantasy cars that I've ever wanted to drive, I should say all, most of them, kind of from the IMSA, the 80s IMSA. That's what I grew up in, yeah. what I grew up around, loved. Uh, XJR 14, definite fantasy car. Yeah. Would have loved to. Didn't sound great, was, I mean, compared to some of the others. In the, the But the most amazing one, obviously, would be the uh, Toyota Eagle Mark III, the AAR Eagle. Dan gets mad when you say Toyota. <laughs> they paid for it. They didn't build it. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, Gurney's Eagle Mark III, and it sounded worse than all of them because it's just a turbo four. I mean, yeah. those things are as farty as can be, but it just by coincidence happened to be there for that car's debut in 91. And seeing what that could do at a racetrack compared to the other cars, amazing to, amazing to see the redemption it's always, to me, it's always amazing to watch a redundancy taking place. Where you go, that car just made everything else redundant. Right. We don't, you don't get to see that too many times in life. You know, yeah. the Chaparral sucker car that ran here. Some of these things, you know, the uh, Porsche 91730, these just iconic vehicles. Um, would have loved to have seen those, but if I could have driven those for sure, then even down into like GTO, GTU. Oh, good Lord. I mean, I... If it wasn't, two cars, if it wasn't an XJR5 or XJR7 Group 44 Jag, absolutely be Audi 90 Quattro, IMSA GTO. Although I loved the uh, the Audi 200 Trans Am cars. Yeah. That but that, uh, the, uh, the 1989 Audi in IMSA, the sounds, you just, you never, God, in line five, so those already sound amazing. Yeah. Add a trillion pounds of boost, <laughs> which just makes them sound like they're about to explode and kill the world, and then super wastegate yeah. chirps because chirps. you have all that extra boost to get rid of. Yeah. So we're going to go uh, meet with Mimo Gidley in a little while, and uh, we need you now to pass on a question to him. So anything you can think of, whether it be an embarrassing story you know about him that we could use against him? Or no, he, uh, he's driven for me once, so uh, we're, we've been friends for a while. Uh, I would ask him. What would he do differently and or what could he have done differently to hold on to some of the more important IndyCar rides that he held for too brief of a period, Ganassi being the key one? Is there anything he thinks he could have done different to entice Chip or Mike Hole? to retain him. Good. Now we can hide behind you with that question. <laughs> yeah. We didn't care, but, but uh, Marshall, Marshall wanted to know. Yeah. We weren't going to go there, but... This is supposed to just be about food. <laughs> 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 I like that one. Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. yeah. So. 
Well, still a busy day. I assume you still have like six more articles you have to write. I do have quite a bit. Yeah. I'm just glad I didn't get any calls from other people who... Because, I mean, just to sort of cover your breadth here, you you write for Road and Track, you write for uh, Racer. Within Racer, you're covering multiple series. Uh, IMSA, World Challenge, IndyCar, Road and Track, I assume you cover a variety of stuff. Is, is, is that it, or is there even more that we don't even know about? I have a few other clients. Okay. I don't really advertise them. Sure. Uh, well, I don't mean that in a negative way, but... Um, you know, I think anybody who makes a living in motor racing today who isn't a champion race car driver or a really wealthy team owner probably has income coming from three or four or five places. Yeah. Uh, I know that for what I do, I mean, racer is the absolute bulk of my time every day. Sure. Uh, and that's a passion thing. I I really enjoyed working at Speed because there was a high level of autonomy. We're NASCAR. We're big friends with NASCAR. They're our super extra friends. They pay for lots of stuff and make us viable. And you do the other kind of nerdy stuff that isn't NASCAR and Formula One. So have at it. We do don't really thing. know about it too much. Yeah. And so that was awesome. Yeah. And yeah. so it could do all kinds of fun, creative stuff. With a racer, it's not a promo because, I mean, I'm not saying anything that folks in the industry don't know it's a really amazing amazingly small but a really amazing collection of people who are super passionate about doing things a certain way so passion in motor racing that's kind of like if you don't have that you're not in motor racing yeah. there's really very few casual fans oh, I could <laughs> take, take it or leave it no uh, forum yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's a cool thing um, I know you guys interviewed Paul Fanner the founder and owner of Racer and he, uh, he's a great kind of beacon of the right way. Smart dude. That's who that guy was? Yeah. Ugh, no, man, seriously. Yeah. I really it, messed that up. I've enjoyed this because that's another big area of professional growth. Is after many years of kind of being the one, the go-to guy in some way in the areas that I cover, which has been cool, yeah. it, but it hasn't been because I'm the best. It's because uh, you're the only guy here, or one of two, or whatever. This has been great because there is an actual, more collaborative effort in working in a team dynamic again. And yeah. as a, someone racing, team manager, team whatever, like that sensibility is really cool. I haven't had that. All right. Uh, we should probably wrap this up. So. How, are, how are the wolf turds? The wolf turds were good. I actually was going to eat the last one, but I didn't know if anybody else wanted nah, it, so I just didn't grab it. Now I don't want it because it's been sitting there for, you know, now it's probably rock hard like most turds. Two hours it. and 15 minutes. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the wolf turds were actually pretty good. I was, uh, I'd eat it again. What how about you, Sean? How was your dining experience in general? Overall good. I'm going to take these ribs with me to go. Um, the baked beans and cornbread were killer. Yeah. I like the service here, by the way. Yeah, everybody here, here is very the nice. The guys here have been nothing but friendly. So that's good. Probably, the, probably the nicest ex-Hooters I've ever been in. <laughs> <laughs> I've been to one my entire life, and that was at Road Atlanta in 94. To a Hooters? Yeah. That sucks. Wow. It was as disappointing as I always thought it would be. They are yeah. very consistent with that still to this day. Do you like your food? There's only like I'm going to save it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to eat with you after all. <laughs> <laughs> all right. On that note, Continental's got the check. Nice. Meow, 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 meow. I'm finished.
Always good to sit down with Marshall Pruitt. That dude's got a lot of insight on a lot of things, and it's cool to kind of see the philosophies that he's got. It's sort of the place that he's at in life because it it, it echoes very close to home. So sending us out, we're going to return to a band called IC Hawks in L.A., also available on iTunes. I specifically chose this song because we had to drive through the grapevine from Southern California up to Fremont, and so we're going to play you a song called Grapevine, also available on iTunes to uh, take us out here. So, enjoy!
my mind every time I stay.